welcome back to the Turn Row Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Ethan Diver. With me, as always, are my uh, co-host, Kevin Heck. Hey, everybody. John Gibson. Howdy. So what we thought we would talk about today is uh, maybe some of the flooding and excess moisture. I think excess moisture would be saying it lightly that uh, the Midwest is experiencing. So, uh, Kevin, why don't you kick us off with a little bit of talk about the flooding and what's going on and what are the next steps to actually planting a crop this year? Well, you know, I think we're in southwest Kansas, in my area, we're actually very fortunate because we haven't been getting all the rains um, to get in John's part of the world and Dodge and city Kansas and east and it gets uh, pretty interesting. I know I was telling John a minute ago in Manhattan, Kansas, they've got the um, Tuttle Creek Reservoir opened up and uh, they're expecting more rain and the town's supposed to flood. So there's a lot of that going across the state. Um, I don't know. It seems like uh, most guys are just in limbo wherever it's flooding um, just because uh, there's so much water, either it's planted or not planted, and they just got to wait for it to dry off in order they can do anything. Um, I don't know. It, it They say uh, a common year that I've heard is 1993. They say that this hasn't happened since 1993 across statewide. It's what a lot of uh, folks have said from all parts of the state of Kansas. So. That's a number that I don't think I've ever heard someone compare weather to. Really? Yeah. It's it's funny how people just know though. It's like it's you know you can get six months in and like oh you know we've seen this in 1993 or you know 2015 and it just brings <laughs> back terrible memories you know. Like, I hope well, the other six months aren't like that you know. It's kind of funny because everybody associates that year with something different. Somebody said, well, this is the first time this ever happened to me. So it was 1993, you know, and then somebody yeah. else says, oh, no, no, no. It was 1981. <laughs> and then there's an argument that ensues. <laughs> yeah, the guy who says 1993 probably wasn't quite alive yet or old enough to remember 1981. So <laughs> right. that's why he uses 93. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, has, it has been phenomenal, though. So, um you know, I don't. So the, the flooded areas, is there, I mean, what what are they going to do? I mean, are if, if, it isn't, if it stops raining and recedes and flushes out, because that's part of the problem if I remember right, is is not necessarily localized rain, but rain from upriver that has to come through your area. That's where a lot of the flooding is coming from. Is that right? Oh, and, yeah, and it's like I was saying in Manhattan, you know, some of these reservoirs, they've got a they got to open up the spillway, right? And um, when they when they do that, it causes more damage because everything's already running at capacity as it is, and yeah. then <laughs> they're just adding to it, you know. But what do you do? You know, it's like yeah. uh, you got you got to take the least damage possible. But but I, I don't know. A lot so, of these fields will probably end up going to some sort of summer crop. Um, in some cases, it may be Milo, and if the water recedes and they can get equipment across it, um, then then it may go to corn, but I don't know. We're getting kind of 
pretty short for our part of the world. I mean, 15th of June is usually most of us, our cutoff date out here in Southwest Kansas. Yeah, you yeah. think about how many acres of cotton we're supposed to be going in and, or even the acres that are, are in, you know, we've seen lots of uh, pictures or stories about, you know, cotton trying to get up and it just dying, you know, or just not, you know, we've had, you know, 30 something degree temperatures in the middle of May. And that is the opposite of well, what you want to see with cotton. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, uh, that's pretty rough. You know, then, then you come to South Texas and we're, we're pretty dang dry. Yeah, like corn starting dent. Yeah. yeah, we had we had one of our guys here that uh, it took thirty five days for the cotton to even emerge, and it still emerged. Yeah, actually, the stand is looking not too bad. That's crazy. So, but wow. you know, it, it, it's kind of a, it's just been weird. You know, we've had the rain, but then, you know, like John was saying, we, we've had the cool weather to go with it. So. You know, it's it, it hasn't been – if it was warm, I think, you know, it may be different. But, um, crap, we haven't even been in the 90s yet, and it's almost – Yeah. Yesterday was, but yesterday was like 68 degrees or 70 degrees, and it's almost June 1st. That uh, sounds awful. My, my sympathies, gentlemen. <laughs> It was a hundred on Monday, and it feels delightful. I guess that's what you get for living in South Texas. <laughs> hey, I, when it breaks a hundred degrees for the first few times, it's nice. It's just, it feels like things are going right. You know, it's like you can watch cotton grow. You know, you're slowly dehydrating. You know, but you can you can fix that. It just feels like things are going right. I don't know. It's a weird feeling, but it's it's kind of nice the first four or five times, but after that, it, it does start to get miserable. Now, um, Ethan, have you guys had any of this stuff? You, I mean, you did early on, but like... Yeah, what, we, we had some rains probably in late March, early April. We had several bouts, you know, I wouldn't say, or bands from some of that early stuff that y'all had. And then we also had a little bit coming off the mountains in Mexico. Um, those are always really good rains because they make it over the hump of the mountains there and they come off the mountains. They hardly have any wind to them. It's just slow soaking rains that don't have hail. There's nothing. This is about as perfect as you can get a rain to come, you know, and then not bring bad things with it. Usually that was the yeah. one that come with it. So we had, uh, we had about three weeks where it would rain an inch every like Thursday through Saturday, it would rain one or two inches, and uh, you get little pockets of hail from stuff coming from the north. Um, it was kind of just enough to finish the weed out, uh, keep the dryland corn alive, you know, and, and affect uh, our cotton planting schedule. But um, we kind of made it through that, and it stopped. So, but um, we haven't really had any measurable rain in probably four to six weeks so maybe not quite that long but it's starting to dry out you know? yeah you know the i i've heard i haven't looked on 
to see what the actual reports are, but I hear that, you know, Nebraska is pretty close to normal, but you get very far east of there and, you know, they're only what, 10%, 11% planted. Um, so, you know, it's not just locally here in Kansas. I think it's, it's everywhere on the, on the flooding yeah. aspect. Yeah, you that, that whole the whole like, that whole watershed getting in the Mississippi seems to be having issues. Yeah, I uh, I read a deal yesterday or a couple of days ago about like so the Great Flood of 1993 that really affected a lot of stuff um, along the Mississippi, but this this year is could rival that i mean you mentioned that earlier but um like certain parts of the mississippi have been in flood stage from like in january and it could be you know through the end of the year so yeah. it's crazy it is and you think about all the the land damage that has been done you know where they had all those ice chunks break loose and you know just that was crazy you see you see pictures of people's houses that had like football size chunks sitting on their dining room table and it's blew through the walls you know (laughs) for someone who doesn't experience very much cold weather to see that much ice that big that hard you know like it just blew my mind that yeah it's going to do that much damage it'll blow a hole through a brick wall you know that's Mm mind-blowing You know, uh, I wonder if that if that soil erosion that they're seeing in Nebraska from that is is somewhat what is that like modern glacial glacial till? I mean, is that you know what I mean? It would if be that, if, that, if that yeah. I mean, if that's like the ditches and stuff that those boulder you know car size uh, things of ice. I mean, is that what it kind of mimics? I guess I don't know. And how do you fix that? I mean, you're just going to spend all summer doing land prep and plant wheat? I don't know. I would assume a dozer would be involved with some of it, but, you know, there's a lot of topography changes in some of those stuff anyway. And so I don't know if you change some of it, if it's that bad. Just smooth it out, maybe cut new benches and, you know, yeah. I don't know. Do you call them benches there, or do you call them levees? What do they call them in Nebraska? I have no benches. idea. Or neither one. Okay. I don't know. No. <laughs> so, I don't know. That I'm, does bring up a good point, Ethan. Know about you know the change. You know what the flooding. How does it change? You know soil texture, um, your soil, you know characteristics, the uh, your nutrients. You know what? What are we going to have to do after the water recedes that to get ready for the next crop? You know, because uh, I think the the silting is the the biggest issue. Because now you may have, yeah. I mean, you're going to have silt or finer soil particles flow in, and you know you may have n- bigger or new <laughs> water holes. Or you know that that didn't used to exist before. Yeah. There's one thing about silt when it washes up on your ground already, it does not dry out. Mm-mm. It takes forever. So I grew up eight miles, right in between two rivers, 
and either way it was eight miles and so our soil types looked like a calico cat i mean it was just you'd move six feet and tell this is a complete another soil type that's what it's been from it's just you know however many years of flooding and stuff but um you knew where silt was and especially you know i mean it for 50 years after the silt got there it always seemed to hold water longer um so I think first thing you have to do is you have to level fields off before you make a decision on fertility. You just have to make it where you can run equipment through, you know, mm-hmm. and then, yeah. then once you're done with that, then you got to tackle the, the aspect of fertility. And uh, in some cases you may have better fertility. If that field came from a good farm, I mean, it may have something attached to it, some P and K. It's, it's probably not going to have any end attached to it. I wouldn't imagine if it's been living in, a, you know, a soaked river. But, um, you know, that that's why, uh, you know, n- natives of whatever continent, pick your continent, uh, when they settled down from farming, why they a lot of the reason they settled on rivers and would plant so close to the river is that was the way fertilizer was flooding not only irrigation but all the organic matter and different things in water as it flooded across your cropland it had good stuff in it as well so it's not always from a nutrient standpoint it's not all negative it's just gonna no. yeah. just who you, knows you're gonna have to do a lot of testing to figure it out yeah i think that well not to mention all the junk that can come with it <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> driftwood trash tires yeah you know yeah but i think I think you're exactly right where the stuff is silted most of the time you have to pull that silt out and yeah. and get get it spread out so it's not locally in one spot yeah because it, it is excellent at holding water and it's if you could you know take that and put an inch of it across or, or a half inch across your farm it would be wonderful you know if you could somehow do that i don't know if, <laughs> it's probably not possible but it, it's a nice component to your soil profile so I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, like you know, we deal with these farmers that have been farming this ground for, you know, 30 years or, you know, multiple generations it's been in the family and it's like, well, after the water recedes, that ground is completely different than what you've been farming the last 30 years. So their idea of bad spots or you know good spots are going to be completely different or they potentially oh, yeah. could be oh yeah so, just from the physical you know, erosion of things yeah you know when we talk about uh ec soil mapping most of the time we say it's a one-time operation unless you do a lot of dirt moving and or we have a flood event usually we we kind of joke around especially in southwest kansas like uh, you're not really going to have a, you know, the way that in the drought we've been in the last several years, it's like, ah, if we got enough water, we'll deal with that at that point. But that is the reality right now, um, especially as we move east. So, And honestly, um, if if that was, if I was working in those areas, um, that would be one of the first things that I do probably after you get the the land kind of you do your dirt work and make it where it's physically farmable ec mapping would be great to figure out what you have because you don't know i mean like what you're saying 
you know, generations of knowledge of, hey, here's a wet spot. This drain's over here. We need to plant this direction. Or, you know, you can't put, you know, Milo over here. It's going to drown out. You got to do something else, you know, or so whatever, you know, that's gone. So, I mean, it, EC mapping would be a perfect way to just collect some knowledge, you know, gain some kind of knowledge because you don't know anything anymore. Yeah. You know, an excessive soil sampling. I don't know if that's really stressed enough. Excessive soil sampling. <laughs> yeah. Almost yeah. Would you do? Would you do? You know, EC soil mapping and a grid sample in the same year. I don't know. Just to get a a good idea of your soil textures yeah. and your fertility. Or would you just you do? Know, maybe soil some mapping. of the worst. You know, the areas that are the worst that change the most. Maybe so. You know. Yeah. But you could you could also I think there's some areas. What's that? You could, I'm sorry, Kevin, you, go ahead. You could drop more more points in your zones, you know, to make sure that you're pulling a core in every zone and get around the the grid sample perspective of it yeah. rather than do both. But um Yeah. You're you're right. I mean, you gotta gotta figure it out some way, whether it's excessive sampling or grid sampling yeah. or E C or something. Yeah. I mean it's you hate to have to spend money this year after you didn't, you know, you had a complete crop loss in some case or weren't even able to grow a crop on a field, but thinking about the next crop and, you know, the the future of that field, you've got to start somewhere. I mean, you're, like you said, you're starting over. And you're, you know, if, if your topsoil went away and you're having to start from a subsoil layer or, or whatever, you know, whatever the situation is, that farm, that ground's not going to farm it. Farm like it has, you know, ground that has been farmed, farms like it's been farmed. This makes, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, let me back up a minute. So in South Texas, we have a lot of re, a reclaimed land that we farm. So it was brush for centuries, you know, just native brush. They'll go root plow it, rip everything out, and um, start farming it. But it takes two to three crops to make a field look like a farm. You know, you'll have corn that's way uneven or cotton that doesn't, you know, the ground doesn't, isn't even, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't uh, percolate evenly, doesn't, you know, work evenly when you uh, cultivate it, doesn't soak in water at the same rate. You have to farm a field so it knows that it needs to be farmed. You're making it more of a monoculture you know, and so that that's where I'm saying this, just from my experience of of pulling uh, farm ground out of out of mesquite brush and it, pulling it into farmland. You know, it takes usually we we do a wheat crop, a corn crop, and a cotton crop. And you know, and the, the wheat crop gets us some organic matter built up. The uh, corn puts some uh, deeper roots, and then the cotton will uh, has tap roots and will push through any hard pans that the uh, the dozers or whatever it made and usually once you get those three crops your fourth year it looks like you farmed it for you know 100 years so um by you know applying that to flooded areas it's going to take you know two to four years i would imagine to look like a farm again it's going to be terribly uneven you know yields are going to be lower um it's not going to just you're not going to plug and play and it looks like it did before the floods. You know, it's, it's going to be a process. Yeah. So, 
hopefully I didn't go down too far of a tangent there. But. No, because it's the same way when we pull out CRP around here. You know, it may take one to two crops in order to get everything back in shape from, you know, uprooting all the native yeah. grass and all that. The one thing that we experienced on that mesquite brush is those weeds have never experienced Roundup. And they are extremely sensitive to Roundup. It's, it, it makes you happy seeing Roundup work so well. So, <laughs> um, which leads me to the thought of, um, you know, if the topsoil went away and you didn't get anybody else's resistant weeds, what are your weeds going to be resistant anymore? Are you going to have any weeds in that ground? Or maybe it's the other way around. You exactly. They're worse. What did it? What did this do for the spread of, you know, not only glyphosate tolerant weeds, but you know, ALS and um, toxins and you know, there's whatever. What pick your resistance. You know, that I would love to see a map of like counties that know, you know, knew they had um, Roundup resistant careless weeds or pigweeds, and then what did that do after the floods? Did those transfer? You know. Logically, they would. So, yeah, and maybe, and maybe. Maybe so. Maybe you've never seen uh, a upstream that they go away. You will have them. You still have yeah. them up here. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there's so many impacts. We we could sit here all day and probably think of something every 15 minutes, something new that this flooding is causing Kansas and Nebraska. You know, I mean. But. So what, from a, a cropping standpoint, this year, if things were to drain off, the land wasn't, you know. Two, it could run a, a a disc over three times and and rock and roll, you know, and get that's all the land work they needed. What are you, what are some of your cutoffs, Kevin? I mean, you know, we got two more weeks for corn. Can you go to sunflower, sesame? What about short season cotton? I mean, what are well, what what kind of tools do you have? You know, around here, we're pretty much stuck, and it, it's probably going to be the sunflower market. The price hasn't been very good. So that is actually bleed, bled off into corn and cotton. That makes sense because they're, you know, it's, yeah. it seems like the um, percent large seed changes quite a bit and you never know until harvest what, what you're going to get. So um, a lot of guys have backed out. Um, you know, I guess one other thing to think about is what is all this going to do to the market? You know, um, you would hope that, you know, that the crop prices would go up, but um, I don't but know. You've already seen that kind of in, on the, in some of the market. I mean, corn's gone up. Yes. Yep. I don't know, quite a bit here. So I, I, I don't know, Ethan. I think that in some areas where you can grow beans, it would be more like a double crop bean, you know, if they could get it in, in a timely fashion. Um, Otherwise, sorghum, or I guess if they've got to get cover because it's eroded, probably go to wheat. Do wheat again? I heard. Well, I mean, like whatever they have to do to get cover. You know, if they're going to move a lot of dirt and stuff, you're going to have to get something established quickly. You know, so that you don't have. Yeah, you got to think, Ethan. Like a lot of this stuff is further east, where they don't like they were preparing for corn or soybeans. And now, it, if it does dry up, yeah. I mean, what what do you have for soybeans till middle of July, possibly? Probably, yeah. You know, if it was 
considering it like a double crop, you know, coming after wheat. Yeah. So, gotcha. They can just like fly it. some rice on, you know, if the fields are flooded. I'm sure, <laughs> you know, I'm sure they can rent some combines from El Campo. It'll be all right. It's been kind of a joke. If we would have known this was coming, you just fly it into the flood water, right? <laughs> yeah, you do that. Yeah, you, you you soak the seed for, I think it's like 36 hours and it starts to germinate, and then you just sling it with an airplane. There's a little bit of land prep you do prior to that, but, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you you have to run a special kind of uh, harrow across the ground before you flood it so it creates grooves for the the uh, rice to fall into. But if you don't do that, then, you know, at least you get some cover, I guess. You know, and I guess that brings up another point is um, cover crop seed. You know that that I guess that would be another option for some of these guys that have to get get cover so it doesn't erode more. Yeah, you could do the, the turnips and radishes and clovers and triticale kind of something. Thing. Yeah. So, what do you think? This is kind of pivoting a little bit, but um, when you get further east to the Mississippi and there was storage damage, you know, corn and you know grain storage damaged. I thought that was what we were going to see the initial response in the market. And I haven't seen that, you know, it hasn't been a real big dramatic. I, I thought, you know, with storage going, you know, uh, we saw that two years ago in the peanut market, you know, the peanut market is pretty small in America. Um, and for some reason in Georgia, where a lot of storage is, they increased storage across the state by like 70%. It was so much that it actually made the price bump. Uh, because there was more places for it to go, but it was a quick, we filled the storage up, you know, went away after a year, stabilized. So I just pulling from that experience, you know, if all these storage facilities are out of commission, or at least the, the crop is ruined that's in storage, I mean, why hasn't that affected the, the, uh, the markets much? I guess you don't know what you don't know. Because when is it a lot of how get... bad it is? Yeah. yeah the, I mean, maybe it, it hasn't. Maybe it wasn't uh, delivery time yet, you know. Maybe it was going to be mid to late summer before it was delivered. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, you know, we'll, the, we'll, the other we'll conversation. We'll continue to see the, the, the effects of this for the next 18 months, probably. You know, oh, do, yeah, for sure. Another question I had from a grower was <laughs> is there insurance for that? You know, you have a, you have a green bin, right? and you're not used yeah. to flooding and all of a sudden it gets taken out by floodwaters or, you know, you've got, like you said, a product that's not worth anything anymore. What do you do with it? And it, you know, should you had insurance or does insurance cover that? Yeah. Is there even insurance that's offered for that? Situation? Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. I would imagine in some areas maybe, but uh, you know, who, who, I don't know. If, I don't know if guys take a policy out on <laughs> on their store well, green. You know, sometimes I wonder why multi-peril doesn't include more perils. <laughs> you know, like multi seems very all-encompassing. <laughs> that seems like it, that's a peril that we should have on there, you know? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, it's that, like that, having that, an umbrella with holes in it that lets the hail come through to hit you. 
<laughs> you, you have to no, buy no, no. specific that's, that's patch the for act that of God, John. <laughs> you know, like this whole oh. appeared, and so <laughs> you were be, being able to be struck by a very large hailstone and sent to the hospital. Well, the, the, uh, we, we've just isolated all of our crop insurance and crop adjuster uh, audience. They now hate us. So. No doubt. Sorry, guys, if we had any of those that were listening. We appreciate you listening, and hopefully you continue. You know, one other thing to think about is you talk about storage and everything, and as as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, you know, we are a global market too you know and you know how how does that affect everything because obviously there's going to be parts of other parts of the world that are going to be able to produce where maybe we can't you know yeah yeah well even you know thinking about you know what it takes to get there you know just the logistics you know how many roads and bridges have been washed out and you know some of these things, you know, we saw a picture from one of our guys down in Oklahoma this, this week. And I mean, there's a road with a big 40 inch culvert that was moved like six feet. And the thing is eight foot deep, you know, where the ditch, the water, where the water ran it through. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of road work and things like that for guys that have to maneuver around or if they're you know what's your hauling cost going to be if you have to drive an extra 100 miles to get around you know road construction and stuff what did you see the picture was it muskogee somewhere in oklahoma where that barge hit that dam oh yeah that was a lock is that that, what it was i had heard in i heard it like around tulsa there was a lock uh, where they it was a fertilizer barge that like broke loose and hit a, it it may be a different thing but but yeah, i mean you you also easy. have have that going on too is now we can't get barges <laughs> like you're saying like we can't get large storage down the river and other things and how does that affect it if you got to truck it it shows you how important water is mm-hmm. you know it's like uh, we take stuff here directly to the port and it's filling up fast. You're seeing people from all over the place. Just, I don't know if what they're doing. They're just giving up and hauling it to the corpus, you know. So, but you know, I guess yeah. they don't have many other options. Mm-mm. You, know, you can't. You got to get it to water some way. That's where all the hell the heads are. The, you know, we're in kind of railhead. I guess it's like a barge head. You know, and you got to get to it somehow just how far how much land are you going to cover to get to it yeah well, and you know i guess it, you know it can go the other way too where i don't think any of our corn here in southwest kansas ever leaves you know we have yeah a couple of the two largest feed yards around right here in grant and stanton county you know what i mean like yeah. people from all over bring corn here and it's i don't know so is that going to like make a microclimate where your corn is less valuable because people are going to, there's more of, they're a hub for a bigger area this year. Maybe, but a lot of, a lot of their storage isn't so great, Ethan, 
that, that they can handle, you know, millions of bushels of storage, you know, yeah. to live off for a whole year, you know, the, they rely on a lot of the local co-ops and then they just kind of spoon feed them all winter and year. Yeah. Cause I mean, in that, that, that they don't, they don't need to have all the storage and, and all that. If, yeah. Let's say a co-op can take care of their needs there. Yeah. That's true. So speaking of, of your area, Kevin, like how many acres of dryland corn are, are going in with like how much moisture we had over the winter and how much rain we've had this spring? And the, I would say pretty much everything has a full profile at this point. And is there going to be much fallow ground or is, are they going to be putting some no. kind of dryland crop on it? I, I would say out here, the trend has been more and more, you know, typically the rotation is, is wheat, fallow wheat, or wheat sorghum fallow, you know, in a three-year rotation. And the last few years, it's been thrown out the window because they say that out, traditionally, it's a one in five-year corn crop, like one in five years, you'll make it. Well, we don't have any normal rotations anymore because there's more and more corn coming out. We have continuous dry land corn, which is unheard of for us. Um, yeah. There was quite a bit that was planted, but, you know, obviously we don't have, there was a lot that was projected to be planted to corn, but with the rains and stuff, you know, it hasn't went in yet. So I, I don't, I can't really answer to what it's going to go into. You know, we're finally getting some drying weather. I think it'll probably scare me or all of us, you know, how much gets done. Even if it does dry off in all these parts of the world that have had flooding, if we can get planters in the ground, equipment is so big and people will start running 24-7 and they'll get something done. And I think that's the difference between 2019 and 1993. Yeah. There's a lot more. The planter size is. 48 rows significant. Yeah, high speed planters yeah. that go 10 mile an hour and you have to have a five point harness in the tractor <laughs> yeah. it'd probably be smoother if you rode on the row unit with all the technology <laughs> in the row unit like the technology that, that, that should it'd be an interesting study the technology in a row unit and how it surpassed the technology of the seat you know? <laughs> yeah. you know, the row unit just is beautiful it sits there it's flat doesn't ride hard you know just goes through and the seat you know you're going 10 you know, miles an hour with five point harness beating your head on the cab of the tractor you know ethan <laughs> if you really want to do that you just need to go to a research farm and and just volunteer yourself to sit on one of their planters yeah if they you know if they give me a set of spurs to sit in a tractor then i'm worried <laughs> you know if i have to bite down with more than just my hands on the steering wheel we got a problem boys <laughs> but if they say if they say tuck your tuck your pants in your boots and put on your riding glove you know you're in trouble right <laughs> yeah they don't give you a seat belt just a bull rope you yeah. know uh yeah. john, john now you're starting to sound like the varus rig <laughs> yeah we have had a few moments like that yeah Trapper oh, in boys gonna be a rough ride <laughs> yeah but you know I, I'm like you, Kevin, though. Whenever it does dry out, it's, we're going to panic because we've been used to moisture. It's going to be extremely dry. And then um, things are going to get done quick. And I, I would say that obviously you've got to push the envelope. 
you know, extent, extenuating circumstances have led us to where we're at now. And we've got to plant because it's cheaper to have a crop in the ground than to have it fallow. Because either way, you're going to spend, you, you know, you got money on weed control or you can have a growing crop that's going to help with that. So, um, but yeah, you know, at least you get your money out of your weed control. Yeah. And, you, and you may, and, and, you know, back to our conversation with, you know, the I states and, you know, maybe there's more silage. Maybe they just grow late, late corn. Of course, I don't know. In some areas, their growing season is already so short. Who knows what they'll have yeah, to do. They're already growing 90, yeah. barely 100-day corns. But, you know, that would be an option, too. You know, grow something for, for silage. It's, you know, it's not like with us. You could have tassel corn that gets held out and you just replant it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we measure our freezes in hours a year. So we have <laughs> we usually can get away with doing that. You may not have insurance, which is fine. But you know. Well, you know, uh, you look at the mountains, like in Colorado, there's been ski slopes that opened up last weekend. They had enough snow. You know, That's it, insane. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we've talked. No, the people about, go to those places. That's cold, man. You don't need, <laughs> you don't need to do that. <laughs> you know, there, there's some people that like altitude, Ethan. <laughs> no, no. I'll, I think I'm, I'm like 900 here in New Valley. <laughs> Sometimes I still get nosebleeds. <laughs> Good you know. grief. No, uh, I don't do that. My ears do pop if I go to 1200 though. So you're like a true flatlander. Well, I, I spent, you know, I grew up six miles from the Gulf of Mexico. My my, house, my parents' house was less than 20 feet above sea level. So, you know, that think about that. Let's go off on this tangent. Think about that. Between you go that far up, you know, and you travel five hours west, straight west, at, to U Valley from the Gulf of you know you could actually don't have to go five hours west you could go south and do it faster but for what i see my my folks five hours straight west to back to my house you go up a thousand feet and you don't even know it how crazy is that you know yeah, that's wild mind-blowing we're not even in the mountains there's not a big ramp <laughs> you know? so so the back on to the uh, that's what I'm saying. The earth's flat. No, yeah, <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke. We just lost our last five listeners. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, back on back on you know your we were talking about you know the the equipment nowadays. So I saw on I saw on Twitter uh, the last few days you know people talking about you know how do you set up your planner? Like, are you taking your um, you know, your openers off or like basically we're mudding, you know, crops into the ground now. So, you know, what, what are you going to recommend Kevin for your guys to do with their equipment? Well, and it's already happening. I mean, we're here, we're dry enough to float a tractor, right? But underneath it's grease. And so Mm -hmm. as it sits, no matter what you do, no matter how much downforce you have or down pressure, we're already creating a, a seed slice that's going to be permanently open and going to cause problems as soon as we dry out. Um, and I think that it's not ideal. It's not textbook, but what else do you do? 
you know and uh, i guess that you know that that kind of comes into play more if you're on a dry land acre because we can't remedy that whereas a lot of the stuff here is under pivot so what do we do oh we'll just keep it wet you know and and that masks the problem it doesn't heal it or fix it but i don't think you have a choice john you know you do what you got to do and you do whatever works you know whether that's no trash whippers whether that's move dirt whether that's work the ground to get it to dry out enough on top that you have enough fluffy soil to close everything back up. Um, everybody mm -hmm. has their own, their own method or their own tool that, that works best for them. So I guess that's a, a hard, a hard question to answer because every producer is different and everything works differently for him or for his soils. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what, what the consensus was on Twitter too. It was like, you know, well, we got to do something and, but. Well, you think about it, yeah. these, these, these banks were already so hard on everybody saying, you, you know, can't do this, can't do that, can't loan you any more money. And now you're in a situation where you can't make money. You know, if you can't put it in the ground, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You got to grow cabbage. It's a short season. But yeah, we, we have are, options. We can just here, ship, so. ship. We'll just, uh, you know, have the caravans come from down by the border. There goes our other last spot. And... Way to go, Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> we, we just burned through listeners. They're hitting unsubscribe as fast as they can. <laughs> Good Lord. I can't tell this has been a great podcast or a terrible one. <laughs> I've had a good time. I've learned some things. Hopefully our listeners did because we've offended them all. So <laughs> that's what they call you know, free speech. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have we have we you know, we have abused the First Amendment today. We didn't <laughs> exercise it. We abused that right today. <laughs> but, oh goodness! Well, guys, um, any other things that we should go over? Flood related, excess moisture related. Um, we didn't really talk about herbicides much other than the resistance component. Um, I guess if they put any pre's, like if they were running Valor or something for soybeans, I would say that's gone. Uh, would yeah. you say that? or You know, I think that that's been a challenge is in some areas like out here, we've had so much rain that, you know, you're, <laughs> you're, we're on plan like X, I think right now. <laughs> you know, we've just... Yeah blew through them all and and what do you do and obviously spraying post isn't um ideal but w you know when when you have so much moisture what do you do yeah and things degrade quickly yep they either leach or they just truly degrade either way they don't last very long well and you know floodwaters move what do you got like we were saying earlier you don't know Exactly. Yep. And you're going to, and you, you probably won't have. know for several years. Yeah. But luckily we have a few more tools, you know, if you were able to get some cotton up, you have enlist in that, you know, where that's a great, it's nice to have not just roundup, you know, we've only, you know, we've, I've looked at cotton for quite a few years and only in the last two or three have we had any type of tools besides roundup. You know, we had a lot of varieties that didn't even have Liberty. So now, Depending on the grower, you have Liberty 
Dicamba or 24D, it's nice to have something. So um, I think you're probably going to, whether you're doing soybeans or cotton, if you're go, going that route on some later planted stuff, you're probably going to lean on those because your residuals aren't going to be there. You know, if you plant dicamba beans or whatever, you know, I don't know. Is that a popular route to go there, Kevin, or to plant those yeah. varieties? Yep, it is. I mean, because it's another tool in the toolbox. Yeah, I think you're going to have to lean on on those, and hopefully they don't break. You know, you know we've talked about layering residuals, and that's what's going to have to happen. Because if you if we can, you know, if this is 93, then we're probably not out of the woods as far as like more rain and and more problems. And so, you know, logically, you may need more on the back backside than you ever have before. Yeah, and it's the one thing nice about standing water is the weeds usually do die. <laughs> yeah, so, true. Unfortunately, so does your crop. <laughs> no doubt. Unless you farm rice. But, um, well, with that, guys, we better get off before we find another group of folks to offend. So, um, as always, I'm your host, Ethan Diver, with Kevin and John. Thank you for listening, and please don't unsubscribe. We value your subscription very much. And Colt, can you tell people where they can find us online? Uh, yeah, you can find us at media at cropquest.com if you want to email any questions in. Um, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at CropQuest, Inc. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So, please send in some questions, and we'd love to have a – Q&A type episode in the future. So with that, goodbye, everybody.